Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 74, The Need to Be Seen. Yes, I see you, Steve, and I welcome you. I'm so glad to be seen. <laughs> yes, isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. My name is Lori Krieg, and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries, and we are coming at you from the not as freezing as it is where our guests are at mm. right now <laughs> in Cheyenne, Wyoming, but we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I am here with licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt. Hello. Hello, Matt. And we also have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi. Hello. He, he throws his hands up in a humble gesture, but we know it's true. But today we are on our seventh in a series of 10 we are doing on core needs, and we are focusing on that need to be seen. And in case you are listening for the first time, what are core needs? Those are inside that metaphorical hole in our heart. Hole in my heart podcast. Here we go. Talking about that hole in our heart. <laughs> but God put these good needs inside of us in an Eden, but the fall affected the perfect way we get them met. So instead of taking those needs to God and have people and our jobs and the world support this good God need meeting process, we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Uh, so we go to those people, jobs, and God's gifts instead of the giver of those gifts to meet those needs. So we're going to continue this conversation with this good need to be seen. And we've got some amazing guests that we don't physically see here, but they're coming through Skype from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And they are two pastors and my new friends. The first is an author and lead pastor of Element Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Jeff Manis. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? Great to be here. So glad to have you. Jeff you. has his degree in pastoral ministry from Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and you are a big Sooner fan. I don't know how to say the right words. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm an Oklahoma Sooner fan, for okay. sure. <laughs> there you go. It's like, you know, the word Sooner needs to be a part of this sentence soon. <laughs> okay. And our second guest is John Wilson. John is a fellow Midwesterner, which in the copy he wrote for me in his bio, he put some things about how Indiana in the Midwest <laughs> is superior to Michigan. But I mean, mm, them's preach. fighting words. <laughs> no. Um, but he earned his bachelor's in Christian ministry and master's of practical theology from Indiana Wesleyan University. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me. We're so glad you are here. He is also the children's pastor at that same church where Pastor Jeff serves at Element Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, and I just need to say something. I had the privilege of serving alongside these guys a couple of weeks ago. And after hearing their story, I was like, yes, we need them on the podcast. And so I have been praying and really excited for this conversation. I hope it really blesses you all. Um, but before we dive into that story of just you guys' friendship and relationship and just some of what God has done in this place of this need to be seen, let's go to the question of the week from last week, which we got quite a few responses from you all. Uh, if you want to respond to our question of the week any week, you can find me, Lori Krieg, either on Facebook or Twitter, or on Instagram, and you can respond to these. Usually I post them on a Monday or Tuesday and we record Wednesday. But the question is, is why do we all talk about this need to be authentic? You know, you see this hashtag authentic life, et cetera, but we don't really do it. You know, I'll mention this from a stage. I'm like, don't we long to be authentic, especially in church? So why don't we? And to solve our problems, <laughs> let's ask Pastor Jeff and Pastor John. Jeff, can we can we start with you? Why don't we do this? Well, it's it's a great question. I I actually think authentic means vulnerable, and we all hate being vulnerable. Yeah, mm -hmm. it it feels unsafe when mm -hmm. probably in actuality it's the greatest safeness we can actually feel is when we have the freedom and permission to be authentic. So, authenticity breeds authenticity. We just, we struggle taking that first step to get there. I think it's because being vulnerable makes us feel unsafe. Yes. Yep. Yep. And exposed. What do you yeah. think, John? Yeah. I mean, I agree with what Pastor Jeff said there. And I think, especially in the church, it's logistically impossible to have authentic authenticity in big groups. Yeah. Um, you can be honest about stuff, but you can't actually like open up your heart and reveal your deepest stuff. Yeah. So it's in those one-on-one -on -one relationships or maybe like at most a group of four. Yeah. Uh, so for authenticity, authenticity to happen, you have to have those close, meaningful relationships. But for those relationships to happen, you have to choose to be authentic at some point. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a chicken and egg thing here. 
Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to know when to get on that wheel and how to get on that wheel. Yeah. And with whom? Yep. That makes tons of sense. Matt, what uh, listener did you resonate with and, and why? So the listener that I was really resonating with was Jenny. And she was um, kind of reiterating some of the stuff that, that John was saying that being authentic with others takes time and trust and that it's hard to develop in a large group or during that meet and greet time on Sunday morning. And so she just encouraged that one of the practices she does is to actually invite someone that she doesn't know very well out to coffee for an, like an extended get to know you, you know, in order to bridge the gap to be able to be a little bit more authentic with them. So and, cool. and so that's mm-hmm. something that for me, I'm like, wow, that's terrifying. But it also seems like, yeah, that's probably a really good idea and a good way to get plugged into a church so that you can actually start to feel the ability to, to be honest and open maybe even in those little two minute snippets during Sundays, but it has to come by involvement through the rest of the week. Yeah. The follow up. Hmm. Steve. Uh, I appreciated what Meg shared uh, on Facebook. My, uh, my current hypothesis, she says uh, to make space for authenticity, leaders need to one face their own baggage and two appropriately reveal their baggage if we don't do our own work and face ourselves, then what we don't see will rule us, namely shame, pride, a need to control our image, etc. Uh, trying to be authentic from a place of not seeing myself will feel shallow because it is shallow. It hasn't gone deep. And she goes on. She's mm-hmm. really thought this mm-hmm. through and she's a real smart person. Yeah. And like I, I wouldn't even be able to give her words justice if I kept <laughs> reading it. But I just like that right there just mm-hmm. captures it really well. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for me, there's all of that. Plus, sometimes I am tired. Like, I feel lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I can be in a group setting. And if everybody else is kind of just talking about, you know, the basketball game or the last movie they saw, I'll just kind of hang out there. Yeah. You know, um, but I feel like when I'm tuned into the Holy Spirit, sometimes I will kind of like be willing to step out and go first and kind of go a little deeper. And then, my experience, you know, like 90% of the time has been that people then will follow, mm-hmm. but you need somebody to kind of go first. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been echoed throughout. And what I loved about what Meg said and what you're saying, Steve, is what Lord willing will hear today in this conversation with these two pastors is the willingness to do our own work. Mm-hmm. And so to look in the mirror first, because then, you know, if we as leaders and all of us are leaders in different ways, but especially in the church, if we're willing to face our own reflection and then model that authenticity, it's it's going to trickle down. Um, Haley said, it's hard to be authentic in the church because I work at the church. And so she she actually says she's a youth pastor, and that adds a lot of elements. My pastor is my boss. My friends are my coworkers. Mm-hmm. They may be safe, but there's a limit to that as well. And that makes a lot of sense. I was in a conversation with a different pastor this week, and I was like, it, we do kind of categorize the church into helpers and those who are helped. Mm-hmm. But that's completely not biblical. And again, what you were saying, John, with the like the the literal group dynamics of like size is is important. You I'm very mm-hmm. vulnerable on a stage, but I'm not vulnerable with what I'm wrestling with that morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm and I it needs to be in a smaller group, but I I do hear this that it we shouldn't though, even though I am a helper, I also need to be a receiver of help in the church. And so that I don't know that that's we could unpack that all day. Uh, so instead of unpack that, let's take a vacation from our problems. Time for Goofball Island. <laughs> and we're on Goofball Island and the vehicle we're taking is the fifth wheel. I haven't been extremely creative with these, Steve, just sometimes I like to throw you something crazy. That's OK. And the game that we are doing here on Goofball Island is. I, see, I keep. I don't change the vehicle, Steve. I just change the name of the game. Oh, right. Because we, I can't ever remember. I remember the vehicle now, but yes. I can't ever remember the name of it. So we're playing one five, skip a few. So this is the, you guys know the game. It's where we start with age zero and we go every five years and I ask the guest questions. So we're starting with birth, age zero. Uh, and we'll go Jeff, then John. Um, what's something weird about the day of your birth? So was it like okay. your birth, something, I don't know. What's something weird about it? Well, uh, the weirdest part about the day of my birth was the birth of my twin brother. And the reason that's oh, weird is 
the doctors, the nurses, my parents had no idea <gasps> that my mom was carrying two children <laughs> until after I was born. And 10 minutes later, the nurse pulled the doctor aside and said, we need to get prepped for another baby. No way. Whoa. Okay. And so my, my parents had one of everything until the birth of my twin brother. And they, they had no idea they were having twins. Okay, that's good. That was that's good. awesome. <laughs> that, that was yeah. good. All right, John, you got twins. You got what do you got? A third eye? What was your, what was your birth story? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't up that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I share a birthday with Vanna White, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is um, cool. But so my birthday is February eighteenth, and I was born at two eighteen in the afternoon. So that was oh, always nice. kind of two eighteen, two eighteen. Nice. But that's all I got. That's good. It's still good. You still we still see you and value you here. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Fast forwarding to age five. Uh, what was your greatest fear at this age, Jeff? I don't know what it was at five. I, I, I know when I was at three years old, my mom tells stories about my brother and I literally being terrified, blood curdling screams of every motorcycle that went by our house. Oh, no. So I would imagine at five years old, I, I might have still been scared of motorcycles for some reason. <laughs> That's great. Now do you like ride them and you, you just, I do. I actually, I actually, uh, I just got rid of the motorcycle I had, but I had a motorcycle for a while and that's awesome. Isn't that called (laughs) flooding Matt? When you just like, if you're afraid of spiders, you go in a room full of spiders. Yeah. You just overwhelm your, your emotional response to it. Yeah. Way to go. Way to get on the hog. Yeah. Whatever the word is. Grab the motorcycle by the the horns <laughs> by the handlebars really yes, yes technically mm. all right john fear at five snakes oh yeah mm. indiana jones still my fear yeah oh. still mine as well <laughs> and i'm not doing that flooding therapy for it no way <laughs> yeah that one actually could be terrible mm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I see yeah. Matt's eyes flaring up with defense for snakes and how amazing they are. He loves every oh, creature. So, so there's a an, an there island off the coast of uh, I think Rio in Brazil that is literally called Snake Island, and no <laughs> humans are allowed to visit it because they will die oh. because there's like 18 snakes per square yard, and they're all like oh, these goodness. very venomous vipers. And so, yeah, don't go there. Hmm. All right. Unless I you literally really... picked my feet off the floor here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank the, you. The two, the two hashtags I use the most on social media are all cats are evil and all snakes are evil. <laughs> it is. I mean, Satan. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, now that our nightmares are locked and loaded, let's go to age 10. <laughs> Who or what did you want to be when you grew up at age 10? I mean, for, for most of my childhood and teenage life, I wanted to be a professional athlete at 10 years old, that's probably Walter Payton at the time. John probably doesn't even know who that is. <laughs> do you know Steve? Steve's the other yes, I do. elder in our midst. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I know Walter Payton. Okay, Matt's Payton? old soul. Yeah, I, come Who's on. Who's he? Football, running, running, running back. back. Oh, okay. Bears. Yeah. Got it. I mean, Emmett Smith passed him for all-time rushing yards back in the day. So. Right. I there literally just oh. fell asleep. <laughs> I came okay. I came alive a little bit. Thank yeah. you. Thank yes. you for that. Matt's heart's racing between the snakes and Walter Payton. We're set. Yeah, we're... <laughs> All right, John. Wow. Okay. Well, this will make you guys feel old because I was 10 in 2004. Hey-o. Oh um, <laughs> and I was not as cool as Pastor Jeff. I wanted to be a band director. Ah, <laughs> like like um, 76 trombones? Uh, yeah, maybe not that flashy, oh, but my yeah. older sister wanted to be a band director. And so I was like, I'll just do that. Hmm. Oh, I love it. All right. Age 15, <laughs> most embarrassing moment, which boy, 15 is pretty, that's an intense one. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's, I, I have so many more embarrassing moments after the age of 15. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's, if it's picking one up until that point, when I was in grade school, my mom caught me sneaking one crouton out of a salad bar at a restaurant. <gasps> and we we, di- we didn't pay for the salad bar, so she made me apologize to the manager oh, wow. for stealing a, a, cr- a single crouton. Wow. I was mortified. <laughs> oh, I can imagine that. Wow. It was the last time you stole a crouton, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've never have. It stuck with me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Yeah, so um, this is the only embarrassing moment I can actually remember from my life. Wow. Uh, we were, my siblings and I were waiting at our church uh, while my parents were finishing up worship practice. And my older sister, Ellen, she was in the choir room playing the piano. So my younger sisters and I, we got bored. We went into a different room to goof off. 
Then when we came out, we heard the same song on the piano. So we decided we would scare Ellen. And on the count of three, I burst into the room. And of course, my sisters left me out high and dry. They didn't follow suit. But I burst into the room. And for whatever reason, I just shouted out, hey, everybody, what's cooking? And I I looked at the room (laughs) and I realized in horror that in the few minutes that my sisters and I were playing in this other room, the entire Piano Teachers Guild of Angola, Indiana, (laughs) shuffled into the choir room. And it was my own piano teacher at the piano. Oh, oh no! no. And so I, I just squeaked out a terrified oh, and then left the room. I, I was mortified. <gasps> oh, that's I funny. can feel my face getting a little red for you. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's intense. That beats the crouton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, age twenty, our last one, and then we're gonna dive deeper into your story. But where were you at age twenty on the path that God has you now? Like, where were you in the trajectory of yeah of where you're at? So at age twenty, I was a junior in college and had just surrendered myself to the call of God into full-time ministry. So mm. I'd been running from the call for about six months. Wow. I was already enrolled at a Christian university, so I actually switched my major in about the first three weeks of my junior year, was able to switch my major over from business and accounting to pastoral ministry, and the rest, as they say, is history. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, I'm excited to hear more about that, and I'm sure we will. Um, John, how about you? Yeah, age 20, I was a sophomore Christian ministry student at IWU. And uh, IWU actually, reflecting on this question. Indiana Wesleyan University, IWU, for those of whom don't oh. speak IWU talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But um, reflecting back on this, it actually kind of started off this whole story that we're going to talk about. Because hmm. that at 20, I got this random illness. Um, that brought me to where I'm at today. I was hospitalized for this illness. They couldn't fight, figure out what was going on. I intuitively knew it was from certain stresses in my life um, that led me through depression. Because of depression, I didn't apply for jobs, so I got in the master's program. Because of the master's program, I found Element Church, and here we are today. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, so, yeah, so that was like a lightning fast, fast forward, but I'm, I'm you know yeah. we're going to pass, <laughs> we're going to go back and walk through some of that. Okay, yeah. I'm curious because I didn't know about this mystery illness that I know is is perhaps something deeper. Okay, well, we are shifting now. Thank you for opening the door to the heart of the matter. Uh, now, dear Jeff and John, I know you listen to our podcast, and so you know that we ask every guest these same set of questions of when was the gospel, which is I'm more love than I can believe and more sinful than I can imagine. Did I get that right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I did it backwards because we emphasize the love here. Aw. <laughs> uh, but... If that's the gospel, when did it first become good news for you, and how is it still? And um, Jeff, I would love for you to unpack this some in your life, and then John, we're going to circle back actually through the lens of core needs to to tackle some of your stories. So, Jeff, how was the gospel first good news, and and how is it still? Yeah. So my my dad's a retired pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. My great grandpa was a pastor. So like church was in our blood, and mm-hmm. so was pastoring. So I've literally been in church since the day I was born. But the gospel was first real to me. I mean, I can remember at five years old. So I'm one of those ones that very early age put my faith in Christ at a church camp in Colorado. I remember an altar call being given. And my brother and I, I can see this moment in my head, my brother, my twin brother, and I walked hand in hand down the aisle to the altar to give our lives to Christ. (laughs) Um, So my brother shares the same memory, which is super cool. But um you know, and, and as every person, I've had my ups and downs spiritually, but um, how the how it's still good news today, one of the things like most recently, most fresh that God's been teaching me, challenging me on is just the issue of trust. Hmm. And I'm, I'm not sure that's a gospel thing exactly, but I've just in the last several months have confessed many times to God my, just my desire to trust him more. It's amazing yeah. to me how I can trust him to save me from my sins, to save others from their sins which is the greatest miracle of all time that God would forgive us and fill us with the Holy spirit and set us free to live for him. But I find it so hard to, to trust him to actually sustain me through what he's called me to do. Mm. So when he asks us to walk a difficult path, you know, it's like, are you, are you sure God is this? Yes. <laughs> are you still, are you still with me? Yes. And so that's where the gospel has been most real for me lately is just that reassuring voice 
of you can trust me. And that, so again, I'm not sure if that oh, is it really does. a gospel answer, but. Well, we're all nodding our heads here because all I'm hearing yeah. in that, if you think gospel is like death to self, life in Christ, yeah. like you're saying no to my flesh because our flesh scrambles in suffering yeah. and we're trying to grip anything. But I'm hearing you say, I'm not going to grip around me and choose the easy route. I'm going to grip Jesus and say, yep. all right, you're still here. You're still here. So yeah. good. <laughs> Almost <It's>, daily. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, hourly. Yeah. So we've been doing this series on core needs, and these are good desires God put into us at creation. And we're looking at this need to be seen. And we define it as noticed inside and out, which talk about vulnerability. That's so vulnerable. And yet we crave it. We crave it, yet we cower from it. Um, and and we're, we're, I'm sure we're going to be talking some about shame today, which we, we've alluded to shame. We've done this series on shame. But it's so interesting to me that in order for us to feel shame, which is a feeling of I am worth less instead of guilt, which is what I did was not worth it. So shame is I am worthless. So in order to remove shame, we need someone to see us in our mess and love us as we are. And so we talk about these embarrassing moments. You probably wouldn't have felt shame if there was no one in the room, John. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so if you had walked in and just been like, uh, or if no one saw you do the, have to do the crouton confession. Yeah. And yeah. so shame requires someone to see us and frown, essentially. And yeah. we, that's when our face turns red. But to remove shame, we need someone to see us and love us in our mess. And so, John, how did you, and, and perhaps we'll keep alluding to this shame removal, but how did you experience first this need to be seen as a child, and how did that develop until you met this, this pastor dude that you're <laughs> serving alongside? And by pastor dude, I mean Pastor Jeff. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, I mean, it's going to be hopefully not too long of a story, but... I mean, similar to Jeff, I put my faith in Christ when I was six as a child. Um, but then around age 11 or 12, um, I realized that I was attracted to uh, members of the same sex, same sex attracted. Mm. Um, and I was a really good church boy kind of kid. <laughs> so I couldn't imagine what people would think of me if they knew this about me. Yeah. So it, it just seemed it was like automatic to, to be ashamed about that. So I hid that piece of me. Mm. Um but that need to be seen, seen was, was still there, right? Um, yeah. So I ended up developing this habit of overachieving. So people would notice me as someone who had his stuff together, even though inside that was definitely far from true. Yeah. Uh, so matter, no matter what I did, I had to be the most successful and most noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that unseeable piece of me, my, my attractions towards men, that needed to be seen. Mm-hmm. And, and deep within, I knew there would be be blessing and honesty about that. Uh, but there, there was still that whole bunch of terror I would yeah. have to work through to actually get to that place where I could be seen. Um, so a couple times to the end of high school and then through college, the pain of being unseen, of having to hide myself and drowning that shame compelled me in desperation to let a few people in, but just a little. Hmm. Uh, so even though, even in those moments, I made sure that I tidied up my closet before letting them into my closet, hmm. uh, so to speak. Uh, so I'd say, you know, I'm gay, but I'd make it look not as bad as it really was. Like how so? Um, what was the editing you did? Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm gay, but uh, I'm doing okay, or I'm gay, but I'm going to try and date this woman, stuff like that. Yeah. But like, as I said before, that constant hiddenness, it, I mentioned uh, in my, uh, my age 20 question, that pushed me in some pretty dark depression. Mm. Um, the hospitalization was most likely over the stress of, of uh, repressing uh, this piece of me and keeping it hidden, trying to process it on my own. Mm. So um, you were like just hating yourself into this stressed state that literally got you hospitalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And coming out of the hospital, I, I realized something had to change. Um I didn't really know how to do that. And I was still too afraid to actually open up. Um, and so that depression really set in. And, and while that was horrible, it actually gave me an important gift. And I realized that if I was ever going to be seen by others, I needed to be seen by God's, by God first. Yeah. That's good. And like in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking for them, asking them to reveal themselves to him 
so that he could see them even in their shame. And so that particular season of depression through the end of college made my relationship with God pretty raw, pretty honest. Mm. Um, He was the only one I could felt, I felt like I could show myself to. So I dumped all my filth and shame and sin on him for it, uh, on him. Mm. And for the longest time, uh, like I projected my fears of how others would frown at me onto God. Yeah. So although I was honest with God, I was sure his face only showed that disapproval when he looked at me. So like emphasizing the shame. So even though it's kind of getting removed, you're still feeling you have like this felt experience of a frown of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was after graduating in in 2016, that summer, I hit a really low point um, in my faith. And I actually came out to a different pastor, Jeff, at my church back in Indiana. (laughs) Um, And he gave me that gift of being seen. Hmm. Um, and I'm skipping over a bunch here, but through processing through that with him, God showed me that his face when he looked at me in my mess was actually compassionate and gentle and kind and full of longing to actually have my heart. Hmm. Um, so when I, when I moved to Wyoming, I was at this point where it's like, well, I love me kind of, and God loves me, <laughs> but no one else will. I was still terrified of letting someone else in. So um, my stint here in Cheyenne was only supposed to be two years originally. So I resolved that I wasn't going to tell anybody. Yeah. But then when I, I moved to this new place where nobody knew me and where none of my overachieving mattered, um, <laughs> that was really isolating. And I realized that if I were ever going to be seen, if that need was ever going to be met, I was going to have to reveal myself, all of me. Yeah. And that fear of coming out was, was very powerful, mm-hmm. but it was not as powerful as the pain of being hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of brings me up to that point. I, I began wrestling. <laughs> was it time for me to come out? Who could I talk to? And you're at this point, you're a pastor. So you're the children's pastor. You're isolated. You're perhaps in a state of despairing. Is that true? Like you're kind of m- maybe regressed in some ways after having this experience of being seen. So you're in a darker place and quiet and a pastor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't the children's pastor at that time. I was just a, okay. a like part-time guy. Okay. Um, but yes, I was very isolated. My entire community, that even though I wasn't open with them, just my community of friends was gone. Um, I had to start from ground zero okay. of building relationships. And so, yeah, it was kind of this regression. So here we go, Pastor Jeff, you've got this new guy who's part-time and um, you didn't know what he was going to share, but God knew what was going to come. And how did God prepare your heart to receive John's story? Yeah, well, as as John said, there's there's a lot of of the story we have to skip over, but really it started for me in in August of 2016 so a year before John ever showed up at our church and I'm, I got to be somewhat vague to protect the innocent people that are still totally. involved yep. God God brought a just a wonderful very non-traditional family to our church let's say yeah. that didn't believe what we believed and they started asking me as the pastor questions around the LGBT conversation how much how little can an LGBT uh, LGBT person that's in a gay relationship, how much can they be involved? How much can they be active? That mm-hmm. began to le- led to deeper questions of, well, why do you believe what you believe? What does the Bible really say about that? And those conversations force me to actually figure out not only do what do I believe, but why do I believe it? Mm. So I started de- literally devouring information and material on the LGBT conversation, I read affirming books, non-affirming books, side X books, side B books. And and one of the first books I read was People to Be Loved by Preston Sprinkle, who I know you guys know well, mm-hmm. that just opened up my eyes to this conversation in a way that hadn't been before. It was the first book that I read where I felt like, I okay, I can get behind this. Yes. It was firmly rooted in scripture and the historic Christian sexual ethic. But what Preston also did was open my eyes to the way the church and really to the way that I had not personally loved LGBT people as simply people, Hmm. people first and sexuality second. And I was so challenged by it, like wrecked by it. I had 
had to do some repenting and confessing and apologizing to this, you know, this family that had come to our church. And it was through that book that I was first introduced to the concept that someone might have a same-sex attraction, but actually be pursuing the same sexual ethic that I believed in, hmm. committing themselves to a life of holiness and purity, which led for them to single celibacy or an opposite sex marriage. And my mind was blown. Like it was yeah. literally blown. Mm. And so all this was happening while God brought to our team, this young man named John that I had no idea was gay. I mean, literally no idea. Yeah. I, I didn't know the struggles, the hurt, the pain, the shame that was a part of his story. And looking back while yes, I needed to grow in my own love and compassion for all people including LGBT people, I feel like in God's sovereignty, he literally used this family that came to our church to then prepare my heart to receive John mm. for when he walked into my office in November, December of 2017 and, and sat down. And I mean, he, he didn't pull any punches. He just said, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you, this, you know, we're going to address this right out front. I'm gay. Mm. And, Four years ago, I probably would have fired him on the spot. Mm. Just just thinking that by saying I'm gay, he meant I'm I'm pursuing gay sex or a same-sex romantic relationship. But praise God, instead of assuming, because the Lord had had done so much work in my heart, I learned to actually ask questions. (laughs) Mm. I need to pause real quick and look the listeners in the eye. And just say, listen to what this brother did and is saying. He didn't just assume and he didn't just shout, well, this is what we believe to this couple. He did the humble approach of going about, well, not only what do I believe, but why do I believe it? So we did the hard work of research, which I know you pastors are so busy. You have budgets, (laughs) you have angry people, you have small (laughs) groups, you have kids, you know. But you didn't just let this roll over you and you just regurgitated Leviticus and 1 Corinthians Mm -hmm. and Romans. Like you did the hard work. And then you did the humble work of confession, which Steve, when you brought up Meg's note of like the authenticity piece, like to look in the mirror, which Jeff, you just modeled that so well, look in the mirror and not double down and double yell Leviticus, (laughs) but to Mm -hmm. say I was wrong. And then God prepared your heart for a human. You didn't assume even then you're like, Oh, there's differences in this. I am gay word, which most people, they just, they hear I am gay and it triggers them right to you're fired. So you just need to highlight that. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure, I mean, John can speak to it more. I'm sure I didn't respond still perfectly in that moment with John, but I do feel like I'm so thankful for the grace of God preparing my heart for that moment. Because talk, I mean, talk about authenticity. I mean, John was being fully authentic yep. with the guy that was his boss, right? And I'm just so thankful that God protected John from, yeah. you know, former former Jeff. Yes, <laughs> praise God by preparing my heart for that moment. So, dear John, how did that moment shake down for you? How'd you get to that place, and <laughs> and what was that experience like to be seen by now this this pastor Jeff? Yeah, so when I got to Cheyenne, I heard about this family. I heard that this church was having a conversation. Um, Jeff, you had done a sermon uh, in September of that year saying, hey, if you're part of the LGBT community, I'd love to sit down with you and hear your story. (laughs) And I was sitting in the audience. I was like, nope, not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just so many things seem to be indicating I needed to tell Jeff And eventually I was reading in Esther where Mordecai says to Esther, who knows, maybe we were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, God, I got to do it. I've got to tell him. So uh, I love Esther's response. If I perish, I perish. And And that was my attitude (laughs) going into Jeff's office. Um, (laughs) So it was December of 2017. And that initial conversation was actually pretty anticlimactic. Jeff, you're, you're a pretty big internal processor, and yeah. uh, I was too terrified to share too much in detail, so I'm, I think we only talked for like 20 minutes, and having your pastor drop a gay bomb on you is not something they really prepare you for in seminary, so <laughs> yeah. you were going into new territory, yes. um, but within three minutes of leaving Jeff's office, my phone blew up with text after text from Jeff with so many honest questions, 
And and in his office, he had said that he loved me and he, he was honored that I told him. But it was all his actions afterwards that showed me that he actually loved me. Mm. Um, so they weren't like so in that, interrogative questions. They were no. like curious questions and still affirmation of love for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always point out one of my favorite questions. It was the third <laughs> one he asked me was, what is it like to be gay in a locker room? Oh, that's <laughs> like, really honest. Question. That's, a, that's yeah. a good question. Yeah, it is. Question. It is. Totally is. Um, but in that conversation, yes, I needed to be seen and I needed to be loved. But more than that, I needed someone who would say, I still see you mm. and I still love you. So it was a bigger deal for me that Jeff has been willing to walk through this with me. Yes. Like on, on the list of 100 things I never thought I would say to a pastor, I think I've said them all. Um, <laughs> he, he graciously receives it. Uh, he's been there, been there through this entire coming out process. Uh, so he's heard a lot of emotions and hurt and confusion. He's been there with me in victories and joy and, and defeat and, and pain. Um, and so I come to him with relational intimacy, intimacy issues um, that make me feel embarrassed, mm-hmm. but he allows me to feel normal in talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've experienced so much spiritual growth in these past 15 months since I came out to get, came out to Jeff. And it's, it's largely been because I've had someone to see me through it. Mm. Now, if I can jump in, there's, I mean, so, so you came out to Jeff and, and this was literally probably the most vulnerable person that you could have come out to like coming out to him as your boss as the person who was in charge of whether or not you stayed in your position or you know at the church and ate dinner yeah like like, if if he had if he had said you're fired you know your life would have been drastically different in the span of you know five minutes or or whatever it Mm -hmm. would have taken and yet in the face of that vulnerability, and, and I guess vulnerability being like the fact that what you say, the way that you approach, the, your openness can cost you something, mm-hmm. you know. And so you, you, you approach Jeff, who, who could literally take everything from you. And mm-hmm. when he received you, maybe very, very internal processing at that original moment, but then with, with these questions and with this curiosity and with this, with this love for you, I mean... Does that, do you feel like because it was so vulnerable, because you took such a risk in, in being open that like the, the power and the love of God that was being shown you through Jeff was, was made all that much greater? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, man, I, I, I walked through into that conversation. I was shaking, I, uncontrollably shaking and <laughs> I, I had to change my shirt after the conversation because I sweat sure. so much. Hmm. Um, but I remember leaving his office and, and walking back across the church, my own office and just feeling so light. Mm. Um, yeah. Just like I was walking on air, just uh, a burden had been lifted from me. And I knew that that, that conversation had fundamentally changed something in the trajectory of, of, of my life. Mm. Mine as well, John. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you can sense that and you can see it in, in, you can hear it both in this conversation, but I could sense it even being there. And, uh, pastor Jeff, I've, I've reiterated this moment that, so we, I had the privilege of sharing the stage both with Jeff and John and, um, Greg Coles, who's been on this podcast and is a friend of ours who wrote single gay Christian. And I know that was an empower, that was a powerful book for both of you. Yes. But yep. Jeff, I will never forget the moment where you looked at the crowd. So this is <laughs> this is now February of this year. Yeah. Um, and Pastor John had just come out to the congregation and we may dive a little bit into how that process worked. But you looked at the crowd and you said, I know that there's some pushback to John and then maybe having to change his shirt again after preaching four (laughs) times and sharing, Hey, this is my experience guys, uh, with the congregation. But you said, I don't care if this church whittles down to five or six people and I have to restart it in my garage again. This is the right conversation to have. And people listening, maybe freaking out and being like, but this, aren't you affirming, affirming sin? No, he's mm. affirming a human person who wrestles with his sexuality like every other human person on the planet. Mm-hmm. And this is his version. 
And he chooses to use the phrase, I am gay, to describe his experience. And so to see you, Jeff, to look at your congregation and be like, this is the right path of grace and truth. I just, I felt like I was in awe of, <laughs> look at this guy who has is not afraid and is willing to lean in. Now, Jeff, how did you get there? Because here you have yeah. this very intimate moment, but then all of a sudden you got to stare down your con- your elders, your leadership team, your congregation and be like, not only is this for me in this personal, quiet, secret space, but I want to lead and pastor my congregation. How did you get there? Yeah. Well, you, you said this this guy that, that did that without fear. I, it scared the crap out of me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, you were, you worked uh, through it, man. Uh, but I mean, really, you know, we, as I discovered how ignorant and uncomfortable and lacking of confidence I was in this whole subject— I just thought if, if I, the lead pastor am this ignorant, mm-hmm. I would imagine a lot of our church people are as well. Yeah. So I just knew the amount of things I learned, the growth of in compassion and love that I experienced. I wanted our church as a whole to have that. And then also I knew that if John was going to be on our staff, so we then, after John came out, we brought him on staff. After John came out to myself and our leadership, mm-hmm. we brought him on staff as our children's pastor. Well, we knew if he's on staff as our children's pastor, the entire church has to know. Yeah. Like it, it would just be, we're talking about authenticity. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to be authentic and, and to actually hide that would appear to be deceitful. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it didn't make sense for John to share, you know, his sexuality in the announcement time or <laughs> <laughs> on, on some random Sunday in a standalone sermon. And so yeah. we, we waited for the series that we were going to do anyway for him to unpack it with our whole congregation. Yeah. So and John, you, know, we, you were you were okay with this? Like you weren't feeling dragged to share. You wanted to do this as well. Yeah. After I told Jeff in December, I, I just had a heart to heart with God and said, "God, I'm submitting my story to you. I'm not yeah. kicking any doors down, but any ones you open, I'll walk through." Good for you. So then this was like a partnership. Okay. So you, yeah. you then Jeff, you're looking at your congregation. You're you're planning out this series in February. So how yeah. how did that roll down and the specifics of it. Yeah. So we, I mean, we planned that series. It's, it's probably, it's the most planning preparation and prayer three P's for the pastor right there <laughs> uh, that, that we, that we ever put into a sermon series. And for many reasons, I mean, obviously it's a very divisive subject, but we knew our kids pastors coming out. Yeah. Like we, we have to, ha- we have to be ready for this. And so we, we planned for a year, including we wanted to, to bring out experts, if you will, and that's why we, we brought you and, and Greg out to help us out. Mm-hmm. We wanted small group study for our church to go through, and so we, we uh, found the um, Grace Truth small group study that, that Preston and uh, Center for Faith and Sexuality puts out. So, you know, we, we, we planned for a year the sermon series, the topics we preach on. We, did a, uh, we started the year with prayer and fasting, told our church about this series that was coming up. We want to uh, pray and fast as a church for 19 days to start off 2019. We we slowly told some key people in the church, or John did. So he told our elder board about uh, about five months, six months prior to to coming out, and they were. I mean, I was. I am so proud of our elder board. They they embraced John immediately, no questions asked, mm. um, which was just unbelievable for. For myself, and I know it was for John as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so we we literally we worked that series to death all the yeah. way up until until launch, and we we launched that sucker with with much fear and trepidation. Yes, <laughs> um, we literally didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, but I, like you said, I, I, after the fact, you know, you you heard me speak to our congregation after yep. John had come out. It was the last night of the series. We went into it saying. Like we understand that by by announcing that our children's pastor is gay, it has the potential to cause widespread destruction in our church. Hmm. And but the right thing to do is still to stand with John mm-hmm. and to have this conversation and to welcome LGBT people mm-hmm. and love them for people. Yeah. So we were willing to myself, our staff, John. We all knew the risk. We all knew the the cost, the potential cost. Um, and we, we stepped into that, but not without, without fear. I can tell you that. Oh yeah. Well, and I want to circle back like, cause people can hear, Oh, welcome LGBT people. Yes. 
welcome. Mm-hmm. And and I know too, we talked about this, like you have levels of, okay, so this is where what you need to be, not only like you're welcome at X level and this is yep. what it means to be a ser- like to serve at this level or to be a spiritual director at this level. Like there's, you have tiers, but it's not just like, oh, here's the gate for the LGBT yes. people who are not as surrendered, <laughs> not in the same surrendered state yep. as John. Uh, and so that I know has taken some navigating and I, but I just want to, again, look at the audience who's, oh no, these are just the liberal yeah. whoever's no, yes. Welcome. <laughs> you think about Jesus and who he hung out with. Um, but then too, to know the difference between someone who is identifies as LGBT and is surrendering and yeah. like John is and those who are not, but still equally loved in our yes. fellow image yeah. bearers. Yeah. Um, I yeah. would love to can you just go through just let's say there's a pastor listening and they're like shaking and they sense the holy spirit saying oh no i have to do the same thing and do this series this prayer this fasting what were your topics for the four weeks uh so week number one was basically how should the church respond to lgbt people i preached through the story of of zacchaeus in the gospels Mm. and how christ led with love and grace first and and zacchaeus did surrender um but I, I think Christ led with love and grace, regardless of whether surrender was coming or not. Yeah. Um, so we did that one, and that was all about our what's our posture going to be. Uh, week two, we tackled the gender identity conversation and did it more as like a, myself and our youth pastor sat on the stage and just he's done a ton of research on it, so he kind of walked through some of the statistics and the pronoun usage and um, I mean the transgender conversation is just so complex. Yeah. And. Um, and deep. And so we took that one on our own. Then the third week was John preached and he really, he preached just a phenomenal sermon on, I mean, his, his sermon was by far had the mo- most truth in it out of anybody that preached in the whole series hmm. because he, he preached on, here's what the Bible calls us to in this sexual ethic. We, we do hold very strongly to the historic Christian sexual ethic. And John preached that. He said, here's all the passages that talk about homosexuality. Hmm. And then he said, kind of, you know, the, however, here's my shared his story without using his name and then said, that's my story. I'm gay. Mm. Um, and man, you could hear a pin drop and then you heard the place erupt in, in, in applause. Mm. It was, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Um, mm. so that was John, uh, came out in the third week and then the fourth week you came and uh, talk to us about uh, bro- how we're all broken, yeah. but we're also all beloved yeah. and use the story of the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. And then I love how it, it just seemed like God's timing to do the town hall is what you called it yeah. after that, where you took a couple hours of Q&A from the audience. Yeah. And so it was anonymous Q&A so people could a- ask their questions. Um, but it really, I just cannot emphasize, God, guys, just how... The spirit just tied it together. And I'm sure you guys are still dealing with some of the pain, which mm-hmm. is, that's just called being a Christian. It's, it's yeah. just not everyone's going to like you. Um, yeah. But I was able to bear witness and come alongside and serve with you guys. Just what God, just to bear witness to what God was doing. And it was so incredible. Mm. Can I actually jump in yeah. with oh, one please. question? Yeah. Okay, so so you had this this very thought out, planned out, like prepared um, series that you were doing. Can can you just give a little bit of uh, an insight into what was the spiritual battle like going into that, like the weeks leading up to it? I mean, were you guys like were you experiencing like spiritual oppression? Was it like you know this fasting and prayer that you were doing? Do you feel like it was it was more of a releasing? From, from the Holy Spirit, or, or what was, I guess, what was it like going into this place where there was just so much fear, so much at stake, and obviously so much that the Holy Spirit wanted to accomplish? Yeah. John, you want to take a stab yeah, at that? I'll, I'll stab that one. Um, <laughs> the end of 2018, December, I was feeling a lot of anxiety about February coming up. And e- even the first Sunday of 2019, when we first announced the upcoming sermon series, um, I actually skipped service yeah. and I laid on the floor in the dark of my office, like deep breathing against an impending anxiety attack. Cause I was just so nervous about what was coming up. Um, but I had done, I did a more extended fast and, and scripture reading up until my sermon. 
And after that Sunday, uh, the first Sunday of the year, um, the next day, my anxiety lifted. Mm. And God just gave me this great sense of like, I have, I've called you into this. I'm going to smooth out the rough places. Mm. You just keep following me. Um, and I, I remember even talking with you, Jeff, at some one point in there towards the end of January, I had just so much confidence that God was already on February 17th preparing our congregation. I was so confident that the results and the response were going to be overwhelmingly positive that I felt convicted that we just needed to start praising God, mm-hmm. praising him for what we trusted him to do. Um, so, so by the time the 17th came around, yeah, there was some nervousness the week before. But when I got on stage, I'm pretty sure, Jeff, you were more nervous than me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, I, you, you carried the confidence for me because that was that was not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't sleeping. Like for the whole month of January, I didn't sleep well. I was up at night, mm. I, you know, dealing with anxiety. It was for me, it was it was very opposite of what I'm very thankful. God gave that to John. He needed that to get through that season. Mm-hmm. I I was not that way. I was I was confident that we were this is what we were supposed to do. That, that was clear. Mm. But man, the, the unknown, the uncertainty mm-hmm. of what could happen was was weighing on me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I would love to land the plane with each of you just answering a question. Now, I'm going to be honest. We get a decent amount of pastors who come out to us secretly and who are in hiding, not because even like what they're doing is shameful, but they feel that same pressure and it's either real or imagined that they'll get fired if they just simply share. And, you know, you can have a heterosexual pornography struggle as a pastor, but not a gay one and not, Mm -hmm. you know... So, John, I'd love for you to just talk to the pastors a minute just about what would you want to say to them, to a pastor who's listening and hiding? I think the first thing I would want to say um, is thank you. Mm. Like, thank you for your faithfulness, for loving the church, even when you aren't sure the the church would love you back if they knew all of you. Mm. Um, Like your costly obedience to walking in faithfulness as an LGBT person, but also as a minister um, and, and maybe even sacrificing openness for the sake of your flock. Mm. That is Christ-likeness. Um, and that is, that is beautiful. And there's, there's, there's redemption in that suffering. I also want to acknowledge that it's unfortunate that my situation is an anomaly. Yeah. Like, I wish it weren't newsworthy that a pastor mm. came out as a celibate gay Christian and the church didn't run out of town. Right. Mm. Uh, I know of other pastors who dared to, to be seen like I did, but who had far different heartbreak, heartbreaking outcomes. Um, so I would never tell a hidden pastor to do what I did unless they were sincerely sure mm-hmm. that the Holy Spirit was prompting them to do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do I do wish for, for you, if you're an LGBT hidden pastor, that you have at least someone, mm-hmm. a person whom you can find and who will allow you to be fully seen and fully loved. Because in the 15 months since I told Pastor Jeff and brought this piece of myself into the light, the, the darkness and the mold and the sin and the dankness that was around that has, has gone away. Mm-hmm. And what have, what I've brought into the light, I've, I've experienced such an increased amount of holiness and sanctification in my life mm-hmm. because of the ability to be seen. Like I have legitimate accountability now because mm-hmm. um, I can be honest with people. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's my hope for you. If you're an LGBT pastor yeah. uh, that you can, maybe you don't need to tell your church, maybe that's not the timing or, or what God's calling you to, but please tell someone who is safe yeah. um, and, and find that healing in being seen. And you guys, thank you, John. And, and for those of you who are listening, please, you can reach out to us, John. I know mm-hmm. I can send people to you if you want to talk directly mm-hmm. to John. Um, but yeah, please reach out. And now pastor Jeff, yeah. What about a pastor who is listening to this and is feeling the pinprick of the Holy Spirit and being like, oh, snap, I got to I gotta look in the mirror. I got to talk about this. I've got to study this. What would you say to them as they confront, honestly, fear as well? Yeah. Well, I just know, you know, for myself, I don't want to get to the end of my ministry and have completely missed an opportunity to minister to, to love, to serve or reach people because I was just too afraid to say something. Or too afraid to lead somewhere that might offend the comfortable. <laughs> yes, I think so often we're we're afraid of of offending the comfortable, 
And in the process, we, we do nothing to help help serve the people that are that are cowering and fear themselves because they don't have anybody to talk to. Yeah. So, you know, for me, the, the greater fear for me is the fear of getting to the end of my ministry and not actually doing what I knew I should have done. Hmm. But I would say the cost to benefit ratio. Yes, there's great cost in in walking through what we've walked through potential cost. But but our church right now, we are stronger because of what we just walked through. I think we have a greater sense of unity than we've ever had before. Mm. Um, I, I think there, I mean, the, the conversations happening among our straight people, not even about gay people, but about their own faith mm. is amazing. I, I've had multiple people tell me this, this whole series, multiple, multiple people have said this, this whole series, take like the gay thing out of it. I am a better Christian because we did this series. Wow. And that, to me, is the win. Yes, yes, we are going to continue to be a church that, that does our best to love and serve LGBT people. But this has held a mirror up in front of our whole congregation, yeah. um, a, near, a mirror that needs to be held up to, to the big C church, to be honest. Um, and have we lost people? Yes, we've lost a few. There's been some relationships affected, some very close relationships affected by this. But the benefit of actually walking through it and saying, we're going we're gonna to stand on what we believe is the truth. We're going to offer what we believe is the radical grace of Jesus. And we're going to present to everyone this gospel message of all of us are called to die. Yes. And, and if that means that we have some death in the process ourselves, <laughs> mm. then that's the cost for us in this. So I would just challenge the pastor, like, it's time. It's time for the, that's what I've been saying this whole time to our staff, to our church. Like it's time for the church to speak into this boldly. Yes. Amen. Amen. This is Amen. where our worship set needs yeah. to be brought. Yeah. So thank yeah. you guys, man. Oh man, John, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing this just gorgeous page out of your stories and, and letting us read it and really just lead us to worship and challenge Absolutely. us to take a next step. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having us on here. Yes, uh, we're we are better for it. Uh, <laughs> so you guys can see why when I experienced this with them, I was like, oh, they got to be on the podcast. So thank you, God. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who are our ongoing listeners, thank you. And uh, we do have a question of the week for us to, to digest. Again, hit me up on the social meds. Our question of the week for next week, we're actually exploring the need to be safe with Michael Card. You guys know Michael Card? He wrote my favorite book on uh, lament. I love lament. So we're going to all cry together for a solid four to five minutes. Uh, but we're going to talk about what's something you've lost over the years and wish you could find it. So I know we've like asked other guests that, but what's something you're like, oh, I missed that thing. Uh, and for those of you who want to follow uh, what we're doing here, you can find us, like I said, on the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. But too, I'm going to connect you to some of the things that Pastor Jeff has written. And um, like I said, if you want to hit us up and, and we can connect you to uh, John or Jeff just to talk either through the specifics of, okay, how did you do this series? Can you help me, Pastor Jeff? Or... John, I'm hiding. Will you please just, can you see me? Uh, we're happy to connect you to them as well. And if you would like us as HIMH to come alongside your church like we did with um, this precious element church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, we're happy to do that. So you can find me on at HIMHministries.com and we can start start that conversation, how we can either train uh, or, or come in like a series like um, Jeff and John did. All right, so, but that's it. I need to go cry and worship Jesus. <laughs> and <laughs> so we'll go do that. So thank you guys for listening. And all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Um, here at the radio station. About Phone the truck. Call, Steve. You got a new car. Hello. Come on down. Yeah. You're the next contestant on the car. Are you serious? We could give him our vibe. We are serious. Okay. No, George had just come over to, to switch it back over.
but we had started our like mic check, so we're good. All right, thanks. Everybody. Were they hearing us? Just you. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the uh, radio, was it? Yeah. <gasps> yep. It was just whatever you said about Whitaker or something. That, no. That's all it was. <laughs> that went live. It did. Oh, awesome. But we're good now. <laughs> uh, do we need to switch this around? Or do you know? were no. just heard by do not be of worried. People. Do not be worried. <laughs> His face is I so had, red. I had your, your fader low. Okay, that's good. <laughs> thoughts for your thoughts. <laughs> that will be our... Our bloopers. Our bloopers. <laughs> good, please do that so we never lose it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't Matt. say anything untoward. I'm we sure just, you did. We're talking like NPR people. Yeah. Welcome to. <laughs> oh my well, goodness. I said Whitaker Forest. You said I'm Forest Whitaker, filling in for Whitaker Forest, <laughs> filling in for Ira On the nights when the dark lasts a little bit longer. Whitaker Forest. When the wind in 